Welcome to Come Along for the Ride, where we make the world a better place for horses. I'm your host, Tracy Malone. I was born on the country of the Wiradjuri people, and this podcast is brought to you from my home in the Sanford Valley, in the northwest of Brisbane, Australia. I'd like to acknowledge the Turrbal and Yagara people, the traditional custodians of this land on which this podcast is made, and where my family and horses live and gather. I'd like to recognise their connection to land, water, community and our sacred animals. I am grateful to Elders, past, present and emerging, for keeping this sacred land here in Sanford safe and protected throughout many tens of thousands of years. I have great pride to live on country where the oldest known human beings tended to this land. I'm also grateful that you have taken the time to choose this podcast at this very moment. Thank you for being a part of the global change we are making to the welfare and training of horses. If you'd like to support the podcast and all the work that I do, then you can. Just head on over to patreon.com slash come along for the ride podcast and sign up. From as little as a cup of coffee a month, you can help me keep this podcast going. There are many tiers that you can choose from. And if everyone who listens gave only $5 a month, it would make a massive positive difference to me. There's a tier in there for small business subscription, just like the one Peter Papp took up from Peter and the Herd. This is the one where your business gets a mention each podcast. Peter works with equine behaviour and trauma recovery and equine communication, human and horse relationship building. Peter has actually had communication with my mare Gypsy, who's the one you see in the podcast picture with me, and he was spot on about everything, so I can highly recommend his work personally. You'll find the links to Peter's work in the show notes. In this episode, I speak with Anu Joshi from Chetak Horses, who has just begun also working with Detroit Horsepower, both of which we speak about in the podcast. Anu is a person of colour within the horse world, and I've been looking to open this conversation as the horse world can be a judgmental place for people with white skin, let alone someone with brown skin. And I wanted to hear how that has been for Anu and what we can learn from her experience and how we can make positive change on the racism that is now in the horse world. And a big thanks to Lauren RK, my support staff, who brought me to Anu because I simply couldn't find anyone myself. So that was fantastic that she already knew of Anu and her work. As expected, Anu is a really interesting human And we speak not only of racism in the horse world, but about Anu and her accomplished career and her work and the positive change that she is making. I really hope you enjoy this open and heartfelt conversation with a beautiful horsewoman. Here is Anu. Anu, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) It's such a pleasure. Um, you've you've come to talk about a really a topic that uh, is really important to me to open the conversation for. So we're just going to get right into it today. First of all, I want to start with um, how did horses come into your life? Um, so when uh, we were living in Dearborn and my parents, which is a suburb of Detroit in Michigan, um, my parents were living with a family friend and my mom got me a book that was titled what do baby horses do and I believe I was like 
three, four-ish at the time, and that kind of sparked my interest. But unfortunately, we didn't have the resources to make that happen. And also, like, horses weren't in close proximity either. So um, eventually, when we moved a little farther north, um, my mom found a riding stable. I believe I was seven years old at the time. And um, he took me for my first lesson, and it was on this little draft pony named Opie. And I had no idea what I was doing, of course, because it was my first time on a horse. And I just remember it was so much fun. And I just asked my mom if we could go back again. And her and my dad indulged me. And we started just kind of building my riding and horse career from there. Um, every week, I have no idea how they did it, because as we all know, riding is very expensive. And it's hard to find. Um, your footing in the sport if you're the first person in your family. So I'm really thankful that they were always on board and came for anything I wanted to try. Yeah, that's amazing. Really amazing. And yeah, that they were they were willing to do it as well. Cause it's not it's not a safe and easy sport either. You know, not only does it does it need money, but it needs a bit of bravery and letting go from parents. So that's wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. No, the horse parents deserve like their own special like league that they're in um the fact that they let their kids and loved ones just go out there and experience the sport like you're saying that's not always like you know the most safe and there's like a lot of risk taking involved um I think it's pretty amazing that people will enable their kids to do that and then support them throughout their growth within the sport exactly especially if they're non-horse people that's a whole nother level absolutely so you kept up with horse riding. It was just something that you had to do and stayed with you for a long time. Yeah. So at this point, I've been riding and training horses for 25 years. And um, it, like I said, it was weekly lessons at first. And eventually I told my mom that I wanted to compete a bit. So we found um, a program that I could compete within. And that kind of delved into more training every day. Um, anywhere from like five to seven days a week, I was out at the barn and this was um, kind of continued between the ages of 12 to about 15. But unfortunately, the program that I was in, and I know this happens to a lot of young riders, um, I was with an abusive trainer and thankfully my mom pulled me out of the program. Um, And so I took a short break from the ages of 15 to 17 and then I started riding again and from there I just kind of had the bug for it of course and wanted to get back to full-time training and competing my horses and thankfully I landed with a really um, wonderful dressage trainer who really made me feel safe again around horses and really cultivated my love for the sport and showed me a different more positive way um, I could exist within it and from there I kind of got my first horse and he's just been I always tell everyone um, that he's the horse who built me and he's just so fantastic and I'm just so thankful that uh, my journey kind of led me to him. What's his name? His name is Acades and he's an off-the-track thoroughbred. Oh wow a whole nother level. Did he race? He did he raced until he was four years old. I believe he won two races and then he just decided it wasn't for him. <laughs> so 
and I got him when he was about um, two months off the track and I believe I was 19 at the time and um, I was just so determined to train him in a way that I saw fit and I had absolutely no knowledge of what that entailed and I always tell everyone that like he the moment he saw me he looked at me and told me I wasn't worthy and my whole career has just been trying to be good enough for this horse who's given me absolutely everything wow do you feel like you're good enough for him now I feel like I'm finally at least worthy of his like lion heart for sure that horse has moved everywhere with me and done everything with me and He's definitely put up with my very steep learning curve from being a young rider into adulthood. And I'm so very thankful that he has been with me every step of the way. Uh, wonderful. I think you're deserving of him just for the fact that you've taken him everywhere with you. A lot of people wouldn't have. Yeah, no, it's definitely hard um, moving with your horse and with any animals for sure. But I'm a firm believer that if you're bringing an animal into your life that you need to treat with treat them with the respect that they deserve. And a lot of times I know it's hard resource wise, but I do definitely feel like if there's a will, there's a way and you can always find a way to bring your horses or in my case, I brought my dog with me as well. And there's always a way to make it work. It just might be a little harder or you might have to um, be a little more creative, but you can make it happen. Mm, absolutely. Now let's go into the topic of uh, racism within the horse industry and how it's been for you. So you are a woman of colour. What has that been like? Because my, as a white person in Australia, my experience of the horse world and horse industry hasn't been a good one. And I'm a person of privilege. So I can't even begin to imagine what it must be like for you. Can you tell um, me a bit well, about that and when it began and when you noticed it all started? Well, yeah, for sure. So um, I feel like when you're younger, you're kind of not quite so aware of the fact that um, those kinds of things are happening around you. Um, unfortunately, I think we're just not aware of it. And I grew up in a family where... Um, we really valued uh, treating everyone with respect and kindness. So I definitely wasn't prepared for when I was met with any sort of racism out in the world, whether it was within the context of horses or otherwise. And I would say um, the first time I really noticed it was in my late teens. And the question that always came up was, where are you from? And I'd always say, you know, the state that I'm from within the US. And then the, the question that would follow is, where are you really from? And it always made me feel very otherized within the sport. And um, that wasn't a great feeling. And I think the other thing that people don't realize is that sometimes um, you just have to, unfortunately, work a little harder to try to prove yourself. Um, I'm of Indian descent, and I do get told quite frequently that I'm too soft or too forgiving with my horses. and. Uh, it's really hard to hear on a daily basis and it's even harder to deal with um, within the context of horses and when you're trying to not only better your horses but better yourself it's kind of like you're fighting an uphill battle unfortunately. And what effect did that have on you? Did Were you able to stay strong through all that and, and keep 
going in your direction or did you find yourself wavering a lot to other people's um, opinions? Uh, I'll be honest, I'm pretty like stubborn, I would say, in that like I don't really waver too much in other people's opinions, Good. but that doesn't necessarily make it any easier to deal with. The fact that you never see yourself within the sport you love doesn't become any easier over time. And it shouldn't be that way because all of us should be able to enjoy horses and um, like the magic they bring into our lives regardless of what our backgrounds are. And I'm very lucky in that I have a fantastic support system at home with my family and I have wonderful friends who are always there and always willing to listen to me and really give my voice the space that I sometimes don't find within the industry. And I think that makes it a lot easier. So in that way, I'm very privileged. Um, I do have, like I said, just a fantastic support system and they have always, made it known to me that I can succeed as long as I am pushing myself forward to the standard that I want for myself. And it's not always easy. And like I said, it's really hard to be in a sport where you don't see yourself represented or you feel otherized, but I'm perpetually thankful that my family has been there to just kind of reaffirm what I believe in my heart, which is that there is a space for everyone within the sport. And when you, because I'm in Australia and you're in America, and what's it like over there as far as people of colour in the horse world? When you say there's there's nobody that looks like you that's representing, is it really a, just a white person world over there when it comes to horses? Paint the picture for us of what it's like. Um, I would say I'm trying to think of the best way to verbalise this. Mm. <laughs> I would try to say that, like, I don't see, at least within the community I'm in locally, I don't see very many um, people of color or um, anything like that. And especially like, I'm thinking more towards media as well too, um, any sort of like advertisements or companies that are, you know, out there promoting or within our sport. Um, I don't see like, people of color rarely if ever and I know that that is changing and I do really appreciate that companies are putting in the effort but I think it's super important to realize that diversity and how we handle it is an intersectional issue and that means that we need to be approaching it on all fronts. It can't just be that we add one model who's a person of color and has the quote-unquote look of you know a rider. We need to make sure that we're addressing it from all, all aspects. And that means all body types, um, able-bodied, disabled, anyone who is able to be around a horse should be able to be represented. And I think that's happening slowly, but it's not happening fast enough. Mm. Yeah, you certainly don't see it in Australia. I don't believe it's changing at all over here. It's, um, I was saying to Anu, I'm so um, grateful to be able to speak with her and Lauren um, who helps me with the podcast now was able to find you and knows you um, in Australia I've searched and searched and searched for someone who is a person of color in the equestrian world and I've come up blank so far so I will continue to look because I don't believe this is a, a hashtag black lives matter moment and that passes by and that then we move on to the next thing I think this is a really important part of the equestrian world and that um, I promote conscious horse people and to be conscious, we need to be completely inclusive. 
and uh, I don't see it at all here in Australia. So you're very lucky that it's starting to happen in America. Did it start happening after um, George Floyd and Black Lives Matter? Is that when the change happened or was it already happening organically? Um, I feel like it's been very slowly happening organically for sure. Um, but like I said earlier, it's not happening fast enough. And I do definitely notice a huge shift um, since George Floyd's murder for sure but it's still not anywhere where it needs to be. Um, I think it'll change when companies start promoting diversity within their infrastructure as well. Um, you know, it's one thing to just have it out in your marketing, but are you also hiring people who can diversify your perspective? I think that's huge. And that's something that all equestrian companies could definitely do better in for sure. We don't think that far a lot, do we? Um, I've, I've seen it a lot um, with even just movies that are made and things like that, because in again, in Australia, I see it through television and shows where people are talking about it a lot more than actually in our community. And um, they do talk about that a lot. They say it's not the face that you put out the front, it's actually what's going on behind the scenes as well. And um, we can all take a leaf out of that book. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, like I said, I think diversity is an intersectional issue and I do believe that you have to approach it on all fronts. It's not just enough to say, you know, that you're not racist, you have to actively be anti-racist. And I think all industries right now could benefit from that. Unfortunately, um, change does seem to take more time. I don't think it needs to be like that. I think you just need to be brave enough to say, I'm going to do it. And it doesn't take a lot of bravery. You can just start with yourself. And if you start there, you can slowly start to invite others to do the same. Yeah, most definitely. What can we all do as equestrians? So we're listening to this podcast and we go, yes, Anu, I am with you totally 100% with you. But then we stop listening to the podcast and we go on with our day. And we, we actually, as white people, there's a lot of times like, I don't want to put all the pressure on you to have to tell all of us what we have to do. Um, because you've got enough going on in your own world to do. Um, and you don't want a whole bunch of white people going, how can we help? But also, in the equestrian world, we need a bit of guidance. Um, yeah, for sure. So I think the best thing that we can do is we can start by educating ourselves and examining our own personal biases. And this is whether you're a writer or not, or um, just any aspect of your life, because I think until we examine our personal biases, we can't make any sort of significant changes within our life. You know, it's, if you're ignorant of something, you can't change it. So I think that's kind of the teeny tiniest thing that anyone can do to just kind of start um, actively being anti-racist within their own life. And then I guess the best thing that I suggest, especially if you're on social media a lot or um, you're consuming news or anything like that online, I think you could start following more diverse voices, you know, diversify your feed, make sure that you're not just getting your information through one perspective. It's really easy, no matter what you're doing in your life, to just be fed the same information over and over again and never open yourself up to anyone else's experiences. 
So I think it's really important that we do that, that we allow other people to share their experiences and take them in without judgment and also take those experiences in without kind of like taking them personally. You know, we need to understand that when someone's sharing um, a racist incident that has happened to them, that it's not a personal attack on us. We need to make sure that we're showing up and being better. We don't need to justify, um, you know, what we've already done. We need to actually do the work to be better. Yeah, it's the when you know better, you do better. Yeah, and uh, and and that's um, a lot of what we just talk about in the horse world generally um, on this podcast. Is you know we're we're a bit horrified at the things we used to do with horses and two horses when we were. Um, a lot younger and more ignorant and we were being told that these things were okay and and um, then we found out that that wasn't the way and that there was a better way and we've all been able to make that step so um, for this community here I don't think it should be a, a big step at all for us to look inside do the work um, I find myself so I would say I am an anti-racist person in every way and I'm a massive person for human rights but it's extraordinary having grown up in a small country town in New South Wales in Australia the amount of judgment subconsciously that's gone into me and I don't even something will happen and the thought will come into my head that is a childhood thought and I'll be like, oh my goodness, that one came out of the dark. So even those like myself who say we're completely anti-racist, I would stand up, I would step up, I would speak out and have done so on occasion. Um, but it's amazing that um, we all still have the work to do and we really can look inside and go, how much is still sitting inside us? How much is still sitting there from our childhood conditioning um, that we, we can still take a really good look at and look around us and see how it is we're bringing diversity into our own lives. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that it's a lifetime's worth of work and I feel like everyone gets intimidated. Even I get intimidated thinking about it, you know, but unfortunately the systems that are in place currently, whether it's within the horse world or not, you know, you are dealing with that systemic racism that we've all been fed, like, from the moment we were born. So it's a lifetime's worth of work undoing it. And like you said about, like, tying it back into horses, you know, we've all been there where we learned those terrible things that we unfortunately used to do to the horses who were kind enough to teach us. Mm. And if we can find a way to work past that and be better for our horses. There's absolutely no reason why we shouldn't be able to do the same when it comes to how we treat our fellow human beings. Mm. Absolutely. So beautiful white people listening, it is offensive to ask someone where they're from and where they're really from. Um, I actually am always interested in where people are from, but that's from a counselling perspective. I like to know everyone's lineage because it tells me a lot about them, but that's not a colour thing. That's just a, an interesting part to me. Um, so if you're asking it because a person has a different skin colour, it is actually really very rude and racist to do so. What other things do we do um, that we would not even realise as white people um, that are racist? Um, I guess a big thing that has happened to me within the horse industry is that I'm always 
and I don't know, I'm just speaking from my perspective here, mm-hmm. yeah. um, is that I've always been treated, no matter which instructor or how many years of knowledge I have under my belt, I've always been treated as if I don't know what I'm doing or as if I don't necessarily have the same skill set as someone else. And I know it's not intentional, um, but at the same time, it doesn't make my life any easier. And I do realize that people are working very hard on making sure that that doesn't happen anymore. And I am appreciative of that, but I'm hoping that moving forward, we can make sure that we all actually ask each other and are willing to have that somewhat uncomfortable conversation like, hey, what what do you know or where can I help you? And I think, unfortunately, a lot of us would rather just go off of our assumptions. And I'm including myself in that. That's something I'm always actively working on is not jumping into something based off of my assumptions. I think it's important, even though it's really hard to have those conversations sometimes, that we kind of jump into them full force and really embrace the discomfort. And it gets easier over time. But until we do that, I don't think there's really any moving forward. And on the other side of of discomfort is where true connection happens as well. I put up a post the other day on my social media. I ask a lot of questions on there and it's what's blocking you from reaching your horse goals. And um, somebody said it was a, a fear of something or taking their mare outside of their comfort zone is what it was. And I was like, I hear you because I feel the same in many areas of life. And it's like having these conversations that you're just talking about. But on the other side of the discomfort is a deeper connection only every single time, whether you're challenging yourself in the horse world to take yourself outside of your comfort zone, you do something amazing, you and your horse will connect on a new level. And if you have these conversations with people, you will connect on a deeper level and you'll walk away Um, more enriched and fulfilled as a human absolutely I I really couldn't agree more I think it's super important that we realize that discomfort is temporary and that if we can only summon just enough courage you just need to summon just like that tiny ember of self-belief that you can do it and I think that's where like the kickoff point is for whatever you're wanting in your life. You can just say, I can do it. Even if it's like the quietest voice in your head and it's like, you can barely hear it. If you can just grab that like kind of tiny little spark of courage and move forward, I think it creates a lot of space for you to do things that either feel uncomfortable or you just never even thought you could achieve. Yeah, perfect. And also you don't have to be perfect at it as well. You can stumble through it and you can say wrong things and then you can apologize and go, I had no idea that that was, I'm so sorry. But the fact that you're opening the conversation means you're going to find out all the answers. It's like coming on to talk to you today, Anu. I have no idea um, because I'm, I'm in quite an insular world here in Australia in my little bubble. And um especially in the equestrian world, you never quite know what's right and wrong. So I was like, well, I'm going to dive in and I'm going to do my best. And if I do things wrong, well, that's a good lesson for us all as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I feel like that's a mindset that we could all learn from myself included. I'm a perfectionist, like a recovering perfectionist. And it's really hard for me to like 
fail at things because it just feels so terrible, right? When you feel like you are not doing something correctly. Mm. I think we could all really benefit from what you just said, that it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay. You can apologize and move forward. And that's also a skill. I think it's really important to remember that you don't have to be born with that skill. You know, it's something you can cultivate throughout your life and it doesn't have to be this thing that you master in one day, but over time it'll get easier. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. It's like everything, you know, you've got to try first and get it wrong a few thousand times. But as we do with horses, you reward the effort. We all reward the effort. You know, we do it with our horses and I'm positive we can do it with ourselves as well. So tell me more about your riding dressage. What is it about dressage that you love? Um, So when I was younger, I was really into like jumping everything and anything. And unfortunately, when I was um, with um, like the trainer I had as an early teen, I had a couple of bad accidents over fences and that kind of just sucked all the fun out of it. And it definitely... um, took a hit on my self-esteem as far as you know running up to a giant fence or I just couldn't do it anymore and was that because of the trainer what kind of things did this trainer do because I think it's important to talk about that as well for sure so um this trainer was just very verbally abusive and would always say things like I would never achieve the things that I had dreamed of um I was always overweight in her eyes. And I feel like that's a very sensitive subject, no matter what age you're at. Um, And there was a lot of like backdoor kind of politics happening. Um, She would put me on horses and basically let me be the crash dummy until they were good enough for her to sell. Um, And I would come to the barn and the horse I'd been riding for months would be gone. And as like anyone knows when you're experiencing that love as a young teenager, it's really devastating, you know, when you get out there and you're just like, where's this horse? And they're not there anymore. Um, But the verbal abuse was definitely really hard. And hearing that you will never be good enough for the dreams you want to achieve is devastating at that age. And I'm really thankful that my mom realized what was going on and that she pulled me from the program. And um, I think what was the final straw was that I was being put on horses that were way too dangerous for me to be riding at that age and at my skill level. And unfortunately I had a horse go down with me over a fence and it had happened multiple times. Um, I would come home like pretty much just bloodied and bruised and that shouldn't be happening to you at that age. And unfortunately that kind of knowledge is not something you have if you are um, not for, like if you're the first horse person of your family and I'm really thankful that um, my mom realized what was going on and she pulled me from the program as soon as she knew what was happening and at the time I was really scared that I was never going to have horses in my life and I really believed in that trainer um, that she was going to be able to help me achieve all the high level goals I had and because of that, I didn't share what was happening to me with anyone for a really long time. Like, even after I had stopped riding with her, I don't think I had talked about it with anyone until I was ready to. And unfortunately, that was when I was in my early 20s. I was finally 
ready to start talking about what had happened and the extent of the abuse. And um, it was just a really tough time in my life, but I'm super thankful that my family saw me through it and that they really gave me a chance to try this sport again in a way that I could build up myself and the way I treat horses and the way I treat people in a better, more positive way. And because of that experience with that trainer, um, I am just super committed. Like I always say to myself, um, anytime I feel myself going astray, I say that like the violence and the shame stops with me and that cycle doesn't move forward because it would break my heart if someone I was working with or training, I let that follow them into their career. So it was unfortunately um, a really bad experience for me and one that like deeply shaped me, but I'm really thankful to be past it and um, to have found a way to enjoy this sport that is like something where I feel like I can give back to people around me and make sure that the sport is growing in a positive direction. Yeah, I can't even begin to imagine what that must be like having, um, you're at such formative, um, formative age then as well. I'm just so, so proud of your parents. What brave and wonderful people to be able to recognise that, pull you out, give you the self-esteem and support, um, support you needed and pop you back in at the right time with the right people. Yeah, no, they were, I'm forever amazed by how kind and compassionate both my parents are and how much belief they've always poured into me and um, my brother. Uh, I know like now that I've grown up, I know that that's not something everyone gets and I'm very lucky to have had them in my corner. And same goes with my younger brother. Like he's been there for every moment of my career and um, he's been there for everything. And I'm really, like I had mentioned earlier, I'm really privileged to have that because I know a lot of the things that I've gone through would have completely deterred someone else who didn't have the same kind of support structure at home. Mm, absolutely. And I think equestrians all over the world can just know that they're privileged because we get to be around horses <laughs> you know absolutely <laughs> i think i think just that is enough to know that um that all of us have uh, you know that one first step of privilege is there for us all because we all have the same love and ability to be around horses um now back to your you your career so you were jumping anything and everything yeah. Then you had your break. Yeah. Um, so I had a break for about two years. And what happened was I had started, I think I was 17 and I was finishing up high school at that point. And I'd started to ask my mom for lessons. And of course, she's um, a protective mama. So she was just like, I don't know and unsure. And my brother, who is about four and a half years younger than me, he um, bought my first lesson for me for Raksha Bandhan, which is oh. a holiday that we celebrate between brothers and sisters. And so he just got me a handwritten note and he said, you know, I wanted to tell you that you're going to have your first lesson on September 17th. And um, that just kind of kickstarted everything. I was taking lessons again at the very first place I had started riding, which was a really safe and dependable riding school. And um, from there, one of my trainers uh, mentioned, she was like, I can tell that you want to advance your career a little bit more. 
uh, one of my really good friends is a dressage trainer who's looking for some help. Uh, why don't I introduce you to her? So, um, and at this point, uh, I couldn't really afford the, you know, go get a horse or have a ton of lessons. So my options were basically working off whatever I could. So um, my trainer introduced me to her friend, um, Dorothy Miller, who is a really wonderful dressage trainer. If you're in the States, um, I can't say enough good things about her. Uh, she's just super kind and she's got a great feel around horses and she's really the person who sparked my interest in dressage and made me realize it's not just riding around in circles all the time like yeah <laughs> right. yeah so um I ended up meeting her and she told me she needed someone to help around the farm turn out horses do stalls and in exchange she'd always make sure I'd had a horse to ride and give me lessons and so that partnership continued for, I believe, two years. And then she helped me find Acades, who's my first horse. And um, we went to go see him in a snowstorm. And I was looking for something younger and affordable. <laughs> um, thoroughbreds were pretty much the way to go. Yeah. And he doesn't have, I would say, um, typical confirmation for what you think a dressage horse would. He's pretty downhill um, and he's really long. He's not compact or like a horse who can easily maneuver himself through the sport. But I rode him and the arena we were in had these wide open um, slats where snow was blowing in because it was the middle of December. And he was just so level-headed and just I think he was four at the time and didn't bat an eye, just let me ride him anywhere I wanted in the arena. And um, I just came home to my parents and I was like, I think this horse is the one, uh, what can we do to make it work? And for my Christmas and birthday present, they let me bring him home. And oh. that just kind of kicked off the rest of um, my love for this sport and any opportunity that's come my way is because of him. and if I didn't have a horse or I was, because there was no way I was going to be able to afford to lease a horse, a fancy one. So if I didn't have him, I wouldn't have gotten to do any of the things I've been able to so far. So I'm really thankful for him. He's, I know everyone thinks you need like a fancy horse to compete in a sport, but I don't think you need a fancy horse. I just think you need a horse that's going to meet you halfway. And he's definitely been that horse for me. Yeah, I agree. I've seen so many horses rehabbed through um, dressage that um, I believe any horse can do it as well. You can you can really bring a lot of horses to a beautiful place and they may not start fancy pants horses, but they can still move by the end of it. Yeah, absolutely. It's always amazing to me to see the transformation that horses go through, um, through their musculature and just like the pride that they take in their work. Um, my horse, Acades, he is like a lateral king and he loves to half pass and that's his favorite thing. So now that he's retired from competing, I'm like, if that's what you want to do, that's what we're going to do. And it's just amazing to me that a horse that couldn't walk in a straight line could, you could build that kind of dexterity within them where they're so confident moving their body on different planes. So I'm really fascinated by that aspect of dressage and I'm always amazed at what you're able to accomplish when you can bring a horse along the proper way. Mm. 
And you said before, um, there was something I didn't want to skip past. You said in your culture, there is a a day that celebrates brothers and sisters. Is that siblings or is it just brothers and sisters? Can you tell me more about that? I've never heard of that before. Yeah, for sure. So um, my family is of Indian descent. So one of um, the holidays we celebrate, it's called Raksha Bandhand, and it's also called Rocky. It just depends on um, what your cultural background is. But uh, it could be between siblings, but it originated between brothers and sisters. And essentially what it is, is culturally we believe that having a sister is a blessing. And um, yeah, so what happens is that the sister ties a Rocky, which is like a bracelet. And nowadays, of course, you can buy them. But my brother and I, like I always make him the friendship style bracelets. Mm. So um, you make your brother a bracelet and feed him whatever his favorite sweet is. So my brother Jay loves cheesecake. So usually that time of year, I'll make a cheesecake and that can be his treat for the holiday. And um, the brother gifts the sister with something sometimes it's money um just anything but that year i think he was 12 when i was yeah 17 and he decided to gift me with a riding lesson and that definitely changed my life yeah that's extraordinary and what a beautiful cultural thing you know in so many cultures where women are usually the lesser of the species it's so beautiful to hear that there's a culture alive and well that says it's an honor to have a sister that's wonderful Yeah, for sure. I mean, I strongly believe my dad is more of a feminist than I will ever be. He is all about making sure women are empowered in what they want to do. And thanks to him and as well as my mom, um, we're just like, oh, like I've never felt disempowered by the fact that I'm a woman. I've always felt like it's one of my greatest strengths. So I'm super thankful to them for making sure my brother and I grew up to be feminists at heart. Yeah, that's amazing. What a wonderful family you have. I just love your parents and I've never met them. What beautiful parenting. And um, tell me a bit about your, how do I say the name of your business and website? Yeah, sure. So um, my website and my Instagram and everything, social media, it's called Jeta Courses. And I'm so like, glad like... I didn't have a, have a go at that. <laughs> I would have completely Australianified that one. It's okay. It's all right. You wouldn't have been the first person and I'm sure you wouldn't be the first, the last person to mispronounce it. And when I was creating it, I just wanted something that would reflect culturally where my family is from originally. And it was really important to me to create that space for anyone else out there because I feel like it's super easy to just, um, you know, like kind of gentrify what you want your business to be. And mm. I wanted it to really deeply reflect, reflect my culture. And Jaitak is a warhorse from the region of Rajasthan that my family is from. And he's known for carrying his rider through battle despite having multiple wounds. And whenever I think of how much horses give to us, that's what I think of. I don't think of like these tame, docile, you know, animals within pens. I think of like horses as warriors. They're always there with us every single step of the way. And especially in times when we can't hold ourselves up, they're always there to carry us through Mm. whatever it is. And I was just in the moment, of course, um, I was just like, I need something to reflect my culture. And I was like, I know it's going to be hard for people to pronounce this, but I think it's important to 
really share who you are and in doing so I know that's how you create space for others to do the same absolutely I think being authentic is the most important thing and we can learn yeah for sure yeah and and it we learn more about you by the name of your um, business as well you know just me just anyone asking you that question wow I haven't heard it how do I say that and where does it come from people get to connect with you on a deeper level so I think it's fantastic no, I hadn't even thought about that until you just mentioned that. But now that you mentioned it, that is actually that's a yeah. great way to think about it. Yeah, yeah, that's why it's important that we have a connection to the name. And we seem to have um, storytelling as both of us as a part of uh, a passion in what we do. So what is it that you do for your business? Um, so right now, my main thing with my website is trying to chronicle um, other people's stories. And I started off that way and then I switched to my story, but I would like to get back to chronicling other people's stories and creating space for any rider or any horse person to know that their story is valued and heard. And that's kind of on the side what I'm doing. And as far as career-wise, um, I work at Detroit Horsepower as their program associate. So I'm really excited about that. I just started working there this month. And um, they're an organization that empowers youth within Detroit and really makes sure that they get access to horses and also empowers them through an after-school program, um, through social and emotional learning. And I feel like if that program was something I could have been a part of at that age, it would have totally changed my life. So I'm happy it's something that I can be a part of as an adult. And I'm again from Australia and there's people who listen to this from all around the world. Is Detroit a horse town? Or no. It's strange to have horses. Has somebody literally gone, we need to bring this here and we're going to create something great? Yeah, so Detroit is definitely an urban environment. It would be really strange to see horses within the context of the city. Mm. So um, Detroit Horsepower's uh, kind of mission is twofold. Number one is that they have their after-school program where they empower Detroit youth and make sure they get access to horses and are able to learn the lessons that horses have to teach us. And the second part of their mission is that they're actively building a facility in Detroit, because as we all know, having proximity to horses makes keeping that interest alive so much easier. Yeah, um, especially for children, yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's hard when you are not the person driving yourself or not in control and don't have that total autonomy to keep up the sport. So I think it's really important that when we can, we promote proximity as well, because that's what keeps kids within the sport and keeps their interest. You know, whether or not they're choosing to be competitive, I feel like we should all have an easy time of accessing horses. It should not just be an elitist sport. Absolutely. And there's a lot of people um who are of a bit more of my ilk who got back into horses when they were a bit older and more financially stable and um, had a big break during their life, but have absolutely no interest in competing as well. So it's beautiful to have a space where you can just enjoy horses and, and that community is growing as well. Yeah, for sure. I think I'm always like, 
I'm a very competitive person and I always want to compete and, and I really enjoy yeah. that. But And that's great. And there's, yeah. yeah. But it's definitely not for everyone. And you shouldn't have to feel like that's the only way you can validate your time around horses. Um, horses are to be enjoyed in every single aspect. You know, just spending time around them on the ground is so amazing. And it shouldn't have to be something where you feel like you can only validate that time through competition. Mm, absolutely. And who is the brainchild of this amazing Detroit horsepower? Who had this idea? Um, so that would be the founder and executive director, David Silver, and he is the one who um, kind of thought it out and structured it. That's incredible. And is he a horseman? He is, yeah. He was an inventor. Wonderful. Yeah, I'm just uh, I'm browsing through their website, DetroitHorsepower.org, and it looks fantastic. I love programs like this. I, th- I think... Um, horses are such special creatures and when you bring them together and put them together with other communities that magic just happens so what a beautiful initiative yeah for sure no I'm so very excited to be a part of their organization and their mission and it's still a new job to me but I'm just very excited for everything that they're building yeah and um and are you still do you teach dressage as well do you teach riding outside of Detroit horsepower? I do, um, but it's in a case-by-case basis just because I don't have my own facility or my own property. So I'll take students on occasionally, but it's nothing super consistent at this point. And I'm hoping to change that within the next couple of years. We started like actively looking for property and I'm financially trying to map it all out, but that would be my ultimate goal would be to have a place where I can train out of for sure. Oh, wonderful. So there's a bright future for you. This is amazing. You've done so many great things, but there's still so um, so many big dreams to go. Yeah, absolutely. And well, as you know, and as everyone who's around horses knows, it's a lifetime pursuit, right? So it is. there's plenty of time to accomplish all those big dreams we have. Totally. Totally. Yeah, I don't think it ever. I don't know anyone that it's ever ended for. So yeah, it's it's definitely going to be around for a while, but um, it sounds amazing, and I look forward to um, to sitting back and and checking it all out. So you told us your social handles, and I'll put all of the uh, links in the show notes as well. Is there, as we begin to wrap up, Anu, is there anything else that you think we all need to know? Um, I feel like we all as horse people need to be more compassionate and kind when it comes to treating the humans who are within the sport. I think that there's been a huge shift in how we treat our horses um, and how efficient and ethical that training can be. And that could be whether you're, no matter which path you're choosing, there are so many ways to minimally inflict inflict trauma upon our horses. And I feel like that needs to be transferred over to how we treat the humans within our sport. Because like you were saying earlier, it should be okay to make a mistake and to apologize and to move on without any sort of shame being involved. And unfortunately, I feel like our sport is lacking that currently. And I really hope that that could be a cultural shift moving forward. Mm, absolutely and that's one thing you know just that if we all put our minds into one thing 
you know, then that can seriously make the world a better place, the horse world a better place and more inclusive place for all of us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just going back to what we start started talking about, how you could just cause that change within yourself first before anything. Um, I mean, I don't think you need to go out there and make a grand change right away. If you do, that is amazing and I'm in full support of it. But I think the best way that we can create sustainable change is if we look at ourselves and examine where room for improvement is there. Because if you can work on yourself, then it becomes so much easier to communicate with others and kind of move that philosophy throughout your life and throughout whatever your mission is. Completely. Yeah. There is is no better way to say it than exactly how you just said it. So on that note, I'm going to say, Anu, it was such a pleasure to talk to you. This is something that I'm quite passionate about, about opening the horse world up. It's never been a um, a kind place in many ways. And, um, and I come from a, a white skin privilege background. So um, I'm so grateful to be able to tell your story today. No, thank you for having me. And it was so wonderful to talk to you and just hearing your philosophy and how it matches up with mine gives me a lot of hope for how our sport can move forward and improve. Absolutely. And I am one of many in our community. So they all, you know, you're not alone in the horse world and and how we feel about things. This is, um, you know, this podcast might be a little bit of preaching to the converted because I can't imagine I'd have many listeners that would disagree with anything we say but um, but there is that opportunity to look within so know that you are most definitely not alone we have your back oh I appreciate that way more than you know I'm on a mission to create a community of conscious horse people so that their horses all over the world can live a better life This is a big mission with a wonderful message and it needs your help. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to join me on my mission of making the world a better place for horses by bringing consciousness to the horse world, please do one of the following. You can go over to our Patreon page at patreon, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash come along for the ride podcast and become a subscriber to the show. As Patreon members, you're helping this podcast become a weekly show once again. And remember, any funds that go over the cost of production will go into new and exciting projects that you, as a subscriber, will have a say in. You could also pop over to EdenRiverEquestrian.com and see our range of sustainable, ethical and organic gear for both horses and humans. Remember, 50% of profits go back to helping horses all over the world live a better life. Or you could leave us a review and tell the world why you love this podcast. You can do that through whichever app it is that you're listening now. The best place to do it is through iTunes. They give juice that gives other bits juice that boosts the podcast up. And basically that gets it into more people's ears so that we can make a real difference in the world. You could also share this podcast with a friend. Tell everyone you know about it and guide them to an episode that you think they'd really enjoy. All the links you need can be found in the show notes. Thanks again for listening and I'll catch you next time on Come Along for the Ride.